0: Can you Hear me? All right. I'm so delighted to be with you this morning. It's great to worship with you. So glad you chose to come and worship today with us. Um, you know, this is awesome. I'm so glad to be here and see that this this body is coming together. I met Nathan um, I don't know, maybe 6 or 7 months ago and not long after that we had coffee and he told me about his vision for Lee Summit and reaching more people here and how many people are moving here and how a new church is needed and Amen. I'm all for that. I think that is awesome. And I'm so glad to see that vision take shape and that God is moving. And that's that's a great thing to celebrate, you know. I just wanna give you a little bit of history about myself, just so you know, kind of the things I've been involved in as a ministry leader. I started out um, helping establish a inner city worship site for a suburban church in Kansas City. That was my first call and then after that the Lord called me back to St. Louis where I went to seminary and I ministered with college students and led um, college mission trips in the inner city and um, we also did a lot of discipleship training students in the gospel and helping them grow in their faith and then after that um, the Lord moved me again to uh, northwest Iowa where there was a lot of pig farmers and a place that I was totally outside my comfort zone but I felt the call to be a preacher and I took the the call that the Lord gave me, and I went up there, and it was a town of only 400 people, and I've spent most of my life in bigger cities like Kansas City or the Chicago area or St. Louis, and um, then God God opened the door, and I went to a town with like 400 people, and every single person knew me and knew my profession when I would go around town, and um, there were no strangers in that town. So. The Lord, He did great things there, you know, and I grew so much in my faith as a leader. And uh, God ended that ministry in His own way with us, and uh, He brought us back to Kansas City, where we are from. And the Lord opened the door for me to work as a hospice chaplain, which is what I do now. So um, I love what I do. It's a great thing. You know, the way I look at it, I'm often... The last friend people make before they go to glory. That's the way I look at it. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has opened the door for me to do that. And it's um, got some good stories of that as well. You know, the Lord has done some really good things. So wherever he puts you in your life, you can minister the gospel and use your gifts uh, to, to lead other people. Lord, I'm grateful for Nathan. It's been good to get to know him. You know, I just encourage you as a group to really rally around him and pray for him. He's a gifted preacher. I know that if he wanted to seek another call somewhere else, I'm sure there'd be a church that would love to have him in their pulpit, but he's here. He's doing this good work, and amen. Preachers need a lot of prayer to do work like this, so be encouraging to your pastor. You know, sometimes I get texts from old parishioners or friends that hear my message, and man, that helps my preparation, so keep that in mind that preachers need that encouragement and a lot of encouragement is going to be needed and a lot of grace is going to be needed to work this work for the long term. So so may the Lord bless your labors and your ministry efforts here. You know, I think about church planning is an awesome thing I've been interested in thinking about that and just how God does that for much of my life, you know, and many of us, you know, all probably went to churches, different churches grew up in them. Think about this for a minute. Every single church that you were a part of Every single one needed a founding pastor to start it, to do that work, to labor, to plow, to work, to connect. It's hard work to do. And every one of us have been in churches and there was a pastor that you probably didn't even know started it. So keep that in mind. It's an amazing work to be part of. Um, A message I have for you this morning, it's a good message, I think, and I'm glad to preach it to you. It's about grace. So I have a very simple outline. It's what is grace? How does grace work? And why does grace matter? So if you have um, your uh, passage, you can open it up. It's on the bulletin here if you want to follow along. So what is grace? So here's I want to start out. All throughout the Bible, the grace of the Lord is there. And what I mean is this. It's a thread that you can trace throughout the entire story of Scripture from beginning to end. God is good. God is committed to redeeming, rescuing, saving His people doing that when they don't deserve it, God does his saving work in unexpected, um, amazing, miraculous, um, extravagant ways. So let's look at this passage that we read this morning and just kind of fit it into the story of the Bible. So God's people are in Egypt. They're being taken advantage of. They're being oppressed. God hears their cry for help. He sends Moses to rescue them, to be part of his rescuing work. God shows his power over their oppressor by giving many plagues in Egypt. God protects the Israelites so they're not hurt by the plagues, but he does them to try to turn the heart of the leader Pharaoh. Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. Finally, with the last plague, he lets them go. And as they're fleeing, he tries to go out and recapture them. God miraculously delivers the people. They escape safely because of this miracle. They're in the desert then. They don't have food, water. God provides for them miraculously. He protects them in this very hard place. Then, out in the desert, He gives them His law. This is God basically saying to His people, Hey, you are being oppressed. You're being harmed in Egypt. I'm going to show you the way I want people to live. I'm going to give you my template for how to live in my world and not be oppressed and not oppress other people. Now, God sends Moses up to the mountain. He's got the tablets there. It's being written down. He's writing it down. And before Moses can even come down from the mountain and bring it down, the people turn away. They knew better, but they did exactly what God did not want them to do. They started worshiping an idol, and they took and put a substitute in their life for God. They put a substitute for God right in the middle of their life. And it's before Moses can even get down from the mountain. Can you imagine that? I mean, how frustrating could that be from God? He hasn't even come down to give it to them, and they've already turned away. Parents are probably thinking, oh, I've had that, I've had that experience before, okay? <laughs> I haven't even finished talking to you and telling you what I want you to do, and you've already gone against what I want. Oh, man, can you see that? How frustrated could the Lord be? But he isn't. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. He's so kind. He's so good to us. He does not do that. He doesn't give up on his people. He shows his amazing grace, his amazing kindness. And in this passage that we read, God is writing the same Ten Commandments for the second time. Think about that. How embarrassing is that for God's people? He wrote them down. The leader got so mad, he smashed them. They don't have them now. Somebody's got to go back up the mountain and have them written down again, okay? I mean, think about that. This is crazy, you know? God is so full of grace for His people. He's so full of grace for His people. I want you to look at verse 6 and 7, okay? We talk about what is grace, all right? And I think this really kind of shapes the whole thing, this passage in the middle. It says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love for thousands, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What an amazing story of grace right there in the Old Testament. The people messed up, they sinned again, and God makes a way for them to have another chance to be his people, to be his children, and to follow him in his world. Where I come from in St. Louis, we give an amen when we hear something we like. Amen? Amen. The Lord is so full of grace for his people, isn't he? So full of grace, and he's full of grace for you and for me and for my family and for every lost and broken person in Lee Summit that needs to hear the gospel and needs to know him. He's so full of grace for every one of those people, and he wants them to get a picture of that in their life and connect with him. Grace makes all the difference when someone hears it and understands it and receives it. Let me tell you a story. When I was in a Iowa, I had a guy who was in my church. He never came to church, but he was on my membership role. He got sick. He went into the hospital. He was elderly in his, in his 70s. Um, he came back home. And because I'd visited him in the hospital, he let me come visit him at home. Okay. <laughs> so I had lots of members that were not very active. But this guy let me come to visit him. And I had the excuse of, well, you're just at the hospital, so I need to come see you and check on you. you know. So I went, home. Uh, went to his home, sat down and talked to him you know, and this guy's heart was soft. He was elderly, you know, he wasn't in great health. You know, he's had a lot of health issues and we'd had a good conversation. At one point, he just broke down and uh, he said just the most kind of open-hearted thing to me. He said, preacher, I've done some terrible things in my life. I was an alcoholic, destroyed my first marriage. I hurt my kids, I don't have hardly any relationship with them. I've never gone to church, hardly ever. I feel so bad. I've done so many things wrong in my life. I had so many. I made so many mistakes. There's big tears rolling down his cheeks. I could just see that he's hurting. So This is one of my first chances to really minister to somebody as that preacher in that town. So I opened up my Bible. Where are the answers here? I went to Romans 8, and I read this to him: There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We read Romans. We talked about grace. We read the Bible. We talked about grace for a long time. I came back week after week and read the Bible with him for weeks. Eventually, we sat down and prayed and recommitted his life to the Lord. (sighs) He started coming to church every week. People were so shocked. I hadn't seen this guy in 30 years in church, okay? He's on the membership roll. We don't even know who he is, okay? Well, they do because it's a small town, but they're shocked that he's there, okay? Okay. Literally shocked, all right? He's in a wheelchair. His wife wheels him in. He starts coming to church every week. He was the happiest guy. He shook my hand in the back of the church. He loved to see me. He said, so glad to see you, preacher. So grateful to be here. Can you see God's grace? People mess it up. They break his law. They break their their family's heart. They break their relationships. They mess their life up. They do all kinds of things that are troubled and terrible. And God loves them, and he wants grace to be placed right before them and for them to be invited to come and be part of his family all over again. That's what God wants for people. And I guarantee you there are people in this city, in this town, that are hurting, that are lonely, that have been through the same kind of things, and they need somebody that will go to them and tell them what grace is again. One more time. Amen. The Lord wants us to take it to other people that are hurting. Now let me, let me show you this passage. Every passage in the Bible, every single one points us to Christ. Okay, And this is from the Old Testament. And I love preaching from the Old Testament because there's so much good grace in it as well. We shouldn't just look at the New Testament. We've got to look at the Old Testament too because it points us to Christ. Look at verse 7. I want to show you how you can see Christ in this passage. This is God speaking about himself. He says, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So God forgives sin. Amen? He forgives sin. But it's a cost to that, okay? And in the Old Testament, they had to do sacrifices to show that cost. And that points to the punishment that has to come for sin. In the New Testament, we see that God presents Jesus as the sacrifice. He is the one that the punishment goes on. The punishment goes on Jesus so you don't have to bear it. And that's how God forgives sin. And that's all over the Old Testament. That's the grace of the gospel. And this passage reminds us of it. It has Christ's grace written all over it when we read it. God loves the sinner. He will provide a way for them to be cleared and to be restored and be renewed. When Moses is rewriting the law, He's restoring and renewing the covenant with God's people. And that's God's grace at work for His people. God writes a second copy of the Ten Commandments for His people, and that's an act of mercy and grace. Amen? That's what God's like. So let me ask you this. Here's a challenge. Here's your application for this part. You know what grace is. But when you talk about your faith, or when the question of God comes up, or when you talk about the Bible with anyone, or Jesus... Is grace at top of mind? Is grace at the top of mind of your conversation? Is that the first thing that you're putting out there and you talking about it? Or are you going to the law and talking about everything that someone's done wrong? I mean, people know they're not supposed to cuss. They're not supposed to get drunk. They shouldn't break what they're in the Ten Commandments. We know those things in our heart, and we know them because they're reminded, we're reminded of them in the Bible. But are you going to the law first when you meet people, or are you talking about grace Because grace is really what's needed to break through in people's hearts and connect with them and establish that groundwork for God to really bring something new into their life. This friend that I had in um, Iowa, my church, who hadn't been to church in years, he knew he'd done all kinds of things wrong. He knew he wasn't going to church. He knew he'd messed up his life. What he needed to hear was that there was grace for him, that God still wanted him and loved him and wanted him in fellowship and wanted him part of the family, that's what he really needed to hear. We all have people in our life that we talk to on a daily basis, our spouse, our kids, our neighbors, our coworkers. When you talk about that and the subject of faith comes up, is it grace? That's at the top of mind when you talk about God. Because I think that really changes the conversation when we minister to people or we talk to people. Amen, church? Now, here's your other thing you can think about. Every single Christian has a grace story. If you're really a believer, you have a grace story of how God saved you out of whatever mess you were in and out of whatever brokenness you got yourself into. That's everybody's story, okay? Whatever your grace story, have you got it down to like two minutes? Could you tell it in an elevator to somebody that might need to hear it that's also hurting? If someone ever breaks up and starts pouring out their heart to you, or you meet a stranger, you know, and the conversation gets going, and tell them your grace story. They need to hear it. Lots of people need to hear it. All right. I want to look at verse 9 for a minute. The next point of how does God is, how does grace work? And I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? God actually knows that we're going to break his law and we're going to do all kinds of bad things in our life. And he knows that after we become a Christian, we will actually do a lot of things that are messed up as well. We'll make a lot of mistakes after we become a Christian. But God still has grace for us, okay? Amen that is what he's like, all right? If you look at what Moses says at the end of this passage, you can kind of see that. How does grace actually work? He knows they're going to mess up again. He says in verse 9, "Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us, although this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance." Now, stiff-necked, you know, if we're going to, another way we might translate that as bullheaded, okay? We know some people like that, right? They know they, they they do not do what is good for them, okay? They do not make the decisions often that are the right decisions for them. We know people like that. And Moses is just putting that out in there. We're bullheaded people, okay? We're gonna make a mistake again. We're gonna mess up. God, are you still gonna want us? Are we still gonna be your people? Do you want us as your inheritance? The Lord's answer is yes. I want you. I want you, okay? There's more grace for you after you've messed up, okay? Now, how does grace work? It doesn't mean that God wipes away sinners and there's no consequences. When we sin, there are sometimes natural consequences just from those actions that we suffer, okay? But you're not under condemnation as a Christian. Jesus took your punishment. God's not punishing you. You have natural consequences for your sin that God, you can't escape in this world if you sin, but you're under his grace if you've repented and you've trusted in him, and God is gonna bless you help you and restore you and do everything he can in his power to help you. Okay, that's how grace actually works, okay? God gives the Ten Commandments a second time because he's so full of grace and he's gonna continue to give grace to his people even after they've messed up, after they've heard it again. Now, I've lived my life as a Christian pretty much my whole life in church, but I'd say it took me until I was about 40 Okay, to really understand that this is actually what needs to be at the forefront of the conversation with so many relationships and so many people. I can look at the Bible and see all the things I know we're supposed to do. You're supposed to pray, go to church every week, go to a Bible study if you've got that in your church, minister, help people, do what's right, not swear, you know, not sin. I know all the things I need to do, but to have grace at the top of the conversation about how I talk about my walk with God took me until I was about 40 to really realize what that is. And I sat under preachers that preached it, and I felt like they're preaching about grace a lot. Maybe this is, like, boring. I've heard this so much. And then I realized, you know what? I don't actually talk about it that much. I might believe it, but I don't actually bring it up in my conversations and actually use it in my marriage or with my kids or with my friends or with other people. I don't actually bring that to the top of the conversation, and that's actually what God wants us to do. It's so clear in this passage. Now I want to give you another story. And this story kind of was a breakthrough for me mentally as a young preacher, okay? Um, I was introduced to a woman in this small town um, by another couple that uh, was having a lot of trouble and they came to my church and visited and um, they actually... Weren't really walking with God, but they knew a friend who was also not walking with God. And they said, this friend really needs to talk to you, too. OK, so and there are a whole other grace story that I'll share a different time. But anyways, they said, we got this friend that's really depressed. She's having a lot of evil, deep, bad thoughts. OK, can you come talk to her, preacher? I said, OK. So I went over to her house. It's a little awkward. I sat down on the couch. The other friends are there. And um, I said, well, just tell me your story. Tell me your story. I'm sitting there, I'm listening. It's a heartbreaking story. This lady, husband had died 10 years before. She'd been mad at God because of that. But she'd had a lot of trouble with drugs, alcohol, all kinds of messy stuff. Didn't have a good relationship with her kids. Really broken. Hadn't. She says to me, I haven't been to church in 40 years. Are you sure I can go to your church? <laughs> okay. I think she was not lying, okay? She was being honest, all right? <laughs> Hadn't been to church in a really long time. Okay, I said absolutely, you can come to my church, okay? I don't know how the other people respond, but I want you to come and I love you. You can come to my church, okay? So I knew it was gonna be hard for her to do that because she hadn't been in a really long time and it's awkward and uncomfortable. I said, but I also want you to come over to my house for coffee and meet with my wife and I, okay? And we wanna talk to you a little bit, all right? So she said, yes, I'll come to your church, but we also scheduled a coffee not too long after that. So she came over to my house this time had her sit down. She started telling her story the second time, okay? She pours out her heart. She tells all the same stuff. You know, her husband has died. It's been 10 years. She's mad at God about that. She's had a lot of substance abuse issues. She's lived like, in her words, a hermit for like 10 years, just not even getting out. She has almost no friends. The friends she's got are not a good influence, okay? Not, not very helpful to her. Doesn't have very many friends. And just really lonely, depressed, and having all these evil, bad thoughts. I said, okay, I got a story I want to read you, okay? We go to Luke 15, okay? Luke 15. Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son, okay? You know that story. We all know it as Christians. But could we tell it again to people? Because that's a great story that we all need to hear. There was a man that had two sons. One son, the younger son, came to his dad. It said, I want my inheritance now. I know you're not passed away, but I want my inheritance now. The father is so gracious. He gives the son the inheritance. The son leaves, runs away from the father, is out of relationship with him, takes everything the father has given him, blows it all on wild living, spends everything, wastes it, half of the family assets and inheritance. Okay. He takes a job feeding pigs. He looks into the trough one day and says, I'm so hungry, I want to eat what these pigs have. I have nothing. He remembers his father's a wealthy man. Maybe I can go back to my dad and take a job feeding his pigs. I think I'll do that. Starts back home. When the father sees him, he runs to him, embraces him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, says, go out and get a calf and slaughter it. We're having a huge party. My son, who was lost and dead to me, has been found, and he's back, and I'm so happy he's here. I'm going to throw a party. The older brother sees what the father's doing, refuses to go into the party, says, dad, I've been your son my whole life. You've never done anything like this for me, never. The father says, son, everything that I have is yours. You've always been with me, but it is fitting and right to celebrate for your brother was dead, he's alive. He's lost and he's been found. We read that story. This woman who hadn't been to church for 40 years said, I've heard that story before, but the way I heard it was the father rejected the son and told him he didn't want anything to do with him. My dad told me that story. True story. That she told me this. My dad told me that story, and the father wanted nothing to do with that son. That's how a lot of people feel who are outside the church. That's how a lot of people feel who've messed up their life, and that's how this little woman felt. I said, well, that's not the real story, Okay. This is the story from the Bible. God loves sinners. He loves them so much. And when they come back to him, he throws an extravagant party and he's so happy and he embraces them and hugs them and loves them. And they belong to him. And that's before they've cleaned up their life or they've changed everything. This father didn't know what the son was gonna do after that party, but he loved him extravagantly. And it's that grace itself that is so powerful and transformative. Let me tell you a little bit more of this story. I said that to this woman. I told her the story and I said, how does the story sound? She says, that sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. That sounds wonderful. I said, that's right. That's why we call it Amazing Grace, okay? (laughs) Amen? Come to church with us and sing Amazing Grace now, okay? So we continued to meet for coffee. We met again and again. Finally, she got up the courage to come to church. She started coming to church every single week. She became one of my most faithful members, always sitting there listening to my messages, taking notes, asking me about them, saying, preacher, I love that message. God transformed her. She became born again. There's more to this story, okay? She started calling her friends, telling other people in her relationships. She told her son, I'm going to church now. He said, really? Are you serious, mom? You've never gone to church, okay? Her son started going to a church in another town because his mother went back to church, okay? Other people in the town said, I can't believe that person's coming to church. You have no idea who she is. Do you know all the crazy stuff she's done? She's my most faithful member, okay? I'm a preacher in a small town. She's always sitting in there. I can see her face every single week when I preach, okay? She came more than people that had been on the committees and the session and everything, okay? God transformed her life, all right? She started telling everyone about Jesus, explaining to them what grace is, telling them her grace story, all right? She heard the grace message and it broke through, changed her life. So here's my application. When you think about people that are lost and messed up and messy, and you know, you probably have a couple of those people in mind, you might know a few of them. We all have them. Do you think that God delights in them, that he would run to them and put a robe on them and throw a party if they came to your house? Is that the way your heart feels? Do you realize how much grace God has for sinners? He loves sinners, extravagantly, unexpectedly, in ways you're like, what? This person took all the money from the family and blew it in Las Vegas and was crazy and did all these horrible sins and soiled the family reputation and they want to come back now? Are you crazy? And you want to throw a party for them? I mean, think about the story. That's God's attitude towards sinners. He loves them. He wants us to give and embrace and love people that do not deserve it, that knew better and went against what God wanted for them. And God still loves them and wants to put Christians in their life that will love them redemptively, powerfully, consistently, so much that they can't turn away from that grace. They want to come back to God and be part of his family because they know they'll be loved. Amen? God wants to use grace to break through. So often it's easy for us to talk about the things we know people are supposed to do and use the law to beat people up or to make them feel like they're less than, but God wants to use grace, his extravagant grace. And further down the line, God does want to disciple people. He wants people to grow out of that sin. He wants them to make changes in their life, but you got to put the grace part up front in the relationship and help people see that. So here's my last point I want to give you. Why does grace matter? Grace matters because the deeper grace The deeper God works his grace into our hearts, the more he works it into our hearts, the more we are going to be able to go out into the world and show it to other people and actually tell people what it means and explain it to them in our own words and tell stories like the prodigal son story or look at this passage in the Old Testament that clearly shows God's extravagant grace for sinners and tell that and say, do you see the grace of the Lord for anybody? Anybody that will turn to him, okay? We have to have it worked deeper, deeper, deeper into us so that we can share it for other people. I want to give you one more thing. If you look at this passage, in passage uh, verse 7, he says, notice that it says, the sins follow the third and the fourth generation, okay? But he shows his love steadfast love for thousands, okay? So the third and the fourth generation, that passage really is an acknowledgement that the effects of sin ripple throughout generations from one person to their kids to their grandkids. You cannot get away from that. That is just the reality of it. If somebody's broken, it's gonna affect people down the line and their families, okay? But if you wanna balance these, okay, three and four generations, and God says, and my grace is for a thousand generations, Okay. What in the English is left out is that there it actually says generations right there in Hebrew, okay? God's grace is such a huge weight compared to the effects of sin, okay? Don't think of God punishing people and being angry at grandchildren and children because of sin. That's just the natural consequences of things you can't get away from, okay? We all know them. They pass down. They hurt it's damaging. We want God's healing for that. But God's grace is continued to pour it out, be poured out for thousands of generations down the line. And that's for your family and my family and my kids and my grandkids. And all the way down the line, God is going to be offering his grace to his people, wanting them to turn back to him and follow him and walk with him because he loves them so much. And he's so committed to continuing to offer his grace again and again and again. Amen? That's the way, way he works. When Jesus went to the cross, he took our punishment. He made a way for us to come back to God. If you've trusted in Christ, you're under grace, and you can celebrate that, and you can tell other people that you have God's blessing in your life. It's yours. Yes, there'll be natural consequences for sin, but you have God's grace on you. That is his gift to you, and grace needs to be top of mind for us as Christians. When we talk to other people, when we talk to our kids, we talk to our spouse, and even when we talk to strangers, who might tell us things that are unexpected. And you never know when somebody might, if you listen and you're quiet, you never know when someone might pour out all kinds of brokenness and stuff they're going through in their life. Your neighbor, a coworker, all kinds of people. So here's what I want to remind you of in this passage. God's people, they knew better. Moses went up on the mountain. They broke the law before he even got back down to the valley to tell him what it said, okay? And God made the law the Ten Commandments, a second time. He gave it to him a second time. And that is an extravagant demonstration of his amazing, powerful, I'm going to break through in the most broken people's lives grace that you can ever see, okay? And that's the power of the gospel for anywhere, for anybody to share with somebody else that's hurting and needs to hear it. Amen, church? Amen. Let's take it to heart and live it out. Lord, I pray for this new church. May your spirit work in people's lives. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit. May broken people who were lonely, hurting, and have messed up their lives and damaged their relationships and need to hear the gospel afresh. May you lead people from this congregation out into this town to cross their path. And may that message of grace be represented again to somebody who needs to hear it I pray you'd do it this week, Lord, that you'd work by your power to use this congregation to reach new people who are lost. Pray all that in Jesus' name, amen.